Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of State and Effects Podcast. Um, I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving, spending time with your friends and family. If you did not have the opportunity to spend time with family, then at least you have the opportunity to take a day off from work. Um, if you're not following us, please subscribe to the YouTube page, follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, and Google Podcasts. And if you haven't had the opportunity, please check out the website, statingthefactspodcast.com, where we'll be posting um, um, just kind of articles based on what we talk about on the, all these different podcast episodes. For those who don't know, I am an avid, I'm a Trekkie. I'm a huge Star Trek fan, and that is something I definitely want to discuss today. want to keep it a little light, but also kind of give my concerns about how the new Star Trek show, Star Trek Discovery, eh, I think they're kind of taken away from what is typically what we would consider as Star Trek fans to be traditionally works of Star Trek. My history, I go way back to Star Trek, the old, the original series, Kirk fan, I'm all the way to Next Generation with Picard and them, Commanders Captain Sisko on D Space Nine, Captain Janeway on Voyager, um, Captain Archer on Enterprise. I even watched Star Trek Picard. I was happy to see that one. And when they first we first got news that we were getting USS Star Trek Discovery with a black female lead, I was excited as much as anybody else. Star Trek has always been big on diversity, going back to the original series where they they, they had a very diverse cl- you know, cast. You know, you had a black female, Asian male, you had a Russian, uh, someone Scottish, you had, it seemed like you had someone from all walks of life on the show. You even had an alien in Spock who was half human. And as Star Trek has gone on, Star Trek has always continued to promote diversity, whether it's in race, ethnicity, to even different alien races that the Federation has encountered and members who have joined the Federation or those who are not even members of the Federation, but played huge roles on Star Trek where you get to know about their cultures and get to know and you get to know who they are. So that is one of the things that I am big on big about star trek because i'm getting to i'm all about knowing i'm all about diversity and just knowing everybody's different culture and how it all somehow falls into some big melting pot as we in the u.s like to call it now my issues with star trek discovery tend to fold that this seems like it's more if you're going to have diversity Diversity is good, but it has to somehow blend and mix with Star Trek. And that's what previous writers has always done. Writers have always made it blend in and it just it just kind of just it blended in and, and it, flow, it had a natural flow to it. This Star Trek, it seems like they're just trying to throw in storylines that just don't even make sense. That don't even go with Star Trek. You're just kind of they're throwing in storylines. And in, in throwing in characters in general and kind of hoping that the audience don't pick up on it. Which, which is, to me is lazy, is very lazy writing and it insults the intelligence of fans, huge fans, especially fans like myself, who pretty much can tell you damn near anything about Star Trek. So I'm gonna start off with Michael Burnham, 
who is current the show's currently in the, in the fourth season. And at this point, Captain Burnham, Michael Burnham has become captain after three seasons of just uh, just downright disrespect. It's called what it is disrespectful behavior. Just basically, she just decided to do what she wants. Now, I know many people when they think about captains who kind of just go outside of the the lines of protocol, the prime directive in Star Trek, and just basically the boundaries of the Federation. We all think we all think of Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk at times would kind of just say screw the rules and kind of just he wouldn't now he wouldn't say completely screw the rules, but he would kind of he would bend the rules to do what he had to do at times. You know, it wasn't a regular thing, but it, but he was known for doing that on occasion. I've watched three seasons and now we're two episodes in season four, and Captain Burnham has pretty much been the poster child of screw the Federation. Screw Starfleet regulations and protocols altogether. That's basically who she is, and that's what she's known for since season one. She was, she was the first. She was a lieutenant. She was the first officer, and she was somehow deemed as a traitor, and she ended up locked up. Since season one, she's been kind of slowly. She by the end of season one, she slowly worked her way back up into getting back into Starfleet. Season two. Another season of Michael Burnham saying, screw the rules, screw whatever, screw any regulation whatsoever. I'm going to do whatever the hell I want to do. And hopefully it works out for the best. And it works out for it. Somehow it always works out in her favor. It works out in her favor. She moves on up. She breaks the rules, gets, gets shut down, somehow proves to be right, moves on up. So pretty much Captain Burnham at this point has been just doing whatever the hell she wants. So season three, they fast forward to the future. Captain Cyril, he's the command of the USS Discovery. Burnham is the first officer. He trusts her. He expects her to follow his orders, have his back, support. Your first officer, you ain't always got to agree. You can pull your captain to the side. You can always talk to them. Disagree. You know, voice your opinion, but at the end of the day, the captain, the commanding officer's decision is their decision. Commander Burnham, Michael Burnham is going to do whatever the hell she want to do. And somehow she gets lucky. She turns out right. But it doesn't negate the fact that she broke the chain of command and just did whatever she want to do. So how they how does the writers reward this character? They decide season four, we're going to make her a captain. We're going to promote her. We're going to make her captain of the Enterprise, with of the Discovery. She's captain now. I don't care how lucky you get in Star Trek. Nobody is going to promote you <laughs> because you just happen to get lucky and get right. You need someone who can follow the chain of command. And my thing is, she, she was so quick to break the chain of command all throughout her career for the last four seasons. Will it be acceptable if those under her opt to break the chain of command and just kind of just do whatever they want? Will, will they will they get to move up in rank? Will she punish them or will she kind of just say, hey, you know, it is what it is? Last season, this brings up another issue I got with, with Star Trek, you know. Well, her character in general. She just happens to be the adoptive sibling of Spock. 
Everybody knows Spock. Everybody loves Spock. But somehow they just somehow for some reason, I don't even know why the writers decide to even throw this into the storyline, but they decide to make that her, her adoptive brother. Spock has been a character, a character that's been around probably 50 something years, if not longer. Star Trek V, we finally were introduced to his half-brother Cyborg. If I'm correct, that's the name Cyborg. And we, we discovered that in the fifth Star Trek movie. I believe that was the final frontier. Yes, it was the final frontier. And we found he has a half-brother. Okay. No mention of a sister whatsoever while he was in, talking about his family genealogy. Okay. They, get, they make her spot sister and they kind of throw that dynamic into there which really honestly made no sense but the writer pretty much star trek discovery is pretty much the michael burnham show that's what it is michael burnham show i thought over a period of time we would see a little more from the other characters and we have we've seen little glimpse here and there like we might see a character have their moment on the show for about a minute or so as they throw their input but for the most part, we have not really seen any, we're into the fourth season and we have not really seen anything from any other character except for Soru. We know quite a bit about his people. Um, we know stuff about Tilly, which is another character, which I'm, I'm going to go into Tilly right now. Tilly started off as a star, as a cadet. After, she, after the first season, she moved up to Ensign. Promoted, moved up. She's a bit of a warrior. Not too sure of herself, but that's something to be expected from a, from a young character fresh out the academy, still working her way up. So Captain, so Commander Burnham at the time in the last season, she pretty much does what she wants to do, breaking the rules, pretty much embarrassing Captain Soru, someone that she claims she has a lot of respect for, but pretty much embarrasses him in front of the Admiral by doing what she wants to do and breaking the rules. So he decides to demote her as first officer and out of all the people this captain with experience could have picked the ship, the ship has various characters who are veterans who have been in Starfleet service officers for years. This man picks the most worrisome, the one with the least amount of experience whatsoever, instantly, and promotes her to lieutenant and makes her the first officer. Now, once again, the writers decide, I don't know the writers thought it would be cool and fun to do it, but it makes no sense. For one thing, everybody else who's been there over her, I, they all kind of just shrug and they're all cool with it. Nobody has a complaint. Nobody sits there and says, you know what, maybe I should have been first officer. Maybe some, hell, even if it wasn't themselves, they could have pointed to anybody on that ship who could have been a first officer. But yet they decide to opt with Tilly. Not only is Tilly the most worrisome and inexperienced first officer person on officer on the ship at this point. Hell, Tilly, Tilly, Tilly's out of shape. Tilly is not even when you look at Tilly. Tilly is not what you would call the standard of Starfleet officer. Now, before people want to sit there and tell me that somehow I'm fat shaming. Starfleet is not just an explorationary force. Starfleet is also the military of the Federation. They're, 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 
in the cat in the academy you learn to maintain shape there's you're enlisted in starfleet you have to be in shape you're an officer you have to be in shape as well because you have to set a standard lieutenant tilly is pretty much at this point she is obese she don't put on every season she continues to put on the weight and i'm looking at this and nobody seen nobody on this show seems to be worried about that this character is putting on the show. In, in any combat situation she is not going to be in any shape to run hell and for people who sit there and say oh this is just science fiction it's not important it doesn't make a difference it does make a difference because there was an episode on voyager where there were four well, i believe there were about three four former marquee member who was integrating who needed help integrating into the voyager crew in commander tuva well, I think he was a lieutenant. That the lieutenant Tuvok at the time was responsible for putting, making sure they got in shape, shape physically. They knew regulations, and they basically met, moved on up, and lived up to the Starfleet standards. There was a character there who was out of shape, and basically, Commander Lieutenant Tuvok had to whip these folks into physical shape because basically, regulation Starfleet regulations pretty much said you have to be in shape. Lieutenant Tilly is not in, in nowhere near close to meeting Starfleet regulations. She is, she's, she's, she's overweight, extremely, extremely overweight at this point. Love that, love her as an actress, great actress. But if I was to, for example, if I was to take, if I want, if somebody was looking for a role of a heavyweight boxer in a movie, I can't walk in there. Five five, 145 pounds and say you know what it's politically you you have to let me fulfill the role of this heavyweight boxer in this role when clearly i don't i'm not built like a heavyweight and i'm not in the shape of a heavyweight i don't meet high standards i don't meet weight standards i would have to accept that guess what I cannot fulfill that role because I cannot main I I cannot maintain the weight class to be in this role. And the same goes with Star Trek. Every character who has played the role of a of a star member of Starfleet has maintained a certain shape. They all don't have to be built the same. None of these characters have always been built the same. But they but you can look at them and see that they are maintaining the weight standard that starfleet requires of them and lieutenant tilly is not meeting those standards year by year she continues to go way beyond the standard at this point she should be nobody's gonna mention on the show because it would just sound politically incorrect at this point so we're basically just going to ignore that very fact and just kind of pretend that we're not seeing what we're seeing but you know what they won't be politically correct so we're just gonna i'm not gonna be the dead horse on that one but basically, that's a character who needs work, and I believe the writers need to probably get with it. Not just that, the producers need to get with the with the actress and tell her, "Hey, we need you to kind of tone it down some. We'll tone up, shed some weight, so you can meet the standard." Because Tilly's Tilly's an overweight Starfleet officer, and if you over, if you're overweight in the military or in Starfleet, you don't get promotions. That will prevent you from getting a promotion. Now, back to the now back to the now back on to diversity. This season, 
Well, in this show, this newest this discovery is a very diverse crew, white, black, Asian, alien. But in the, but, <clears throat> but to the USS discoveries, they, they, they're doing good because they are promoting members of the LGBTQ community. Like I said, I'm all for diversity, but it has to make sense with the show. And the two characters that, that they brought in, to, they have two gay characters, you know, two males. Um, you have Lieutenant Stan, Stamis and you have his husband. Dr. Co- Dr. Cobra, gay couple. One's a doctor, one's a scientist. They, they fit right on in there. Maintain Starfleet, fun, very likable characters. Star Trek. The writers did an excellent job with these two. Excellent job. They they fit. The diversity fits right on in. But in the third season. The writers kind of decided to go into a weird direction. So, including, they brought in more diversity in the third season. They decided to be more inclusive, bringing in more LGBTQ plus characters. Fine with that, it's all good. They decided to bring in a non-binary character by the name of Adira, and they have a transgender character who goes by the name of Gray. Gray Tall. Now, Gray is a character that was killed off at some point, but top. But Gray is a, a member of the Trill race. Trill, for those who don't know, Trill carry a symbiont. The symbiont can basically trans. For those you know, they transport the memories of all his past hosts. So Gray carried the the Tau symbiont. So there's an accident. Gray dies. Um, Gray's significant other, a deer who's human, just happens to be there. They put the, the, the trio symbiont into a deer. Now, deer has all the memories of the Tau symbiont and all of its past hosts going back to hundreds of years. Okay, this is where they lose me. They lose me, and they're and them wanting to kind of be inclusive and whatnot. For those of us who are aware, the Trill were first introduced in an episode in Star Trek The Next Generation. There was an accident, the Trill died, the Trill host died and the symbiont had to be passed on to Commander Riker who was a human. While Commander Riker was a human, he took this symbiont him, he endowed, had the, the memories of the previous host and all the other previous hosts and so forth. The problem with this is the symbiont can't could, could only, only last would only survive long enough in Commander Riker without killing the host or him or itself. So basically, Commander Riker being human was only supposed to be a temporary host for the for the for the symbiont. The Enterprise zoomed across space and whatnot, got to where they were, were able to transfer the symbiont into an actual trill. Symbian goes into the trio. Commander Riker survives. The symbiont survives. All is right in the Star Trek universe. So right there we know humans cannot carry the, a trio symbiont. Not for long term. In Star Trek, in Star Trek Discovery, 
we just threw all the writers just threw all that out the window. The writers decided we're gonna just have this have this symbiont stay within Adira because I guess the writers wanted this to be a way that Adira can see that them dear by non-binary goes by them goes by thems so them can see gray through the symbiont it's weird for those who who, aren't, who haven't kept up with it don't know much about trill you know it sounds a little off sounds weird but this is where the writer's going so basically now a deer can walk around the ship and talk to gray as if gray is still alive but i guess gray is alive through the symbiont which typically the symbiont is only memories memories experiences that's it it's rare it takes in order to sit there and have conversations with the previous host of the symbiont there take there's typically a procedure that has to take place and you typically have to be a trip a deer that's the exemption to the rule that's the exemption to the rule a deer can sit there and have conversations with gray any day any day and time of the week just sit there on the bridge conversation in on the job conversation in the bathroom conversation it's just you just having a conversation with the with with former gray anytime and now they decided they're going to build they're building gray a body because apparently they're going to bring gray back to green gray back and place gray into this body like they did picard and star trek picard last in, in their first season if that's the case why not do that for every host i i don't know but they're going to somehow bring gray back but i don't see how that's possible without taking something away from the symbiont again i'm all for diversity but it seems as if the character as if the writers are so they're so adamant on having this this character on the show that they're willing to throw all star trek logic and what's been written and what has what we know about certain races and species <laughs> just so people can feel good once again it's good to feel good in all these other shows you had a you had good feelings for towards the characters but you were able the other character with the other writers and these previous shows were were able to make it make sense with this show it does it just seems that the math ain't math now people might ask well, you got issues with the show. Why are you season four and you seem to be in there and you seem to be riding with the show and you still you seem to still be in it? For those of us who are fans, we know that every Star Trek show kind of starts off a little rocky. And they typically don't pick up until, until about the third season, minus the original series. Star Trek The Next Generation. We got first three seasons, first two, three seasons, first two seasons, we were getting to know the characters, everything was getting developed, and it really didn't kick off to the third season. Same with Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We first two seasons, we were getting to know it, getting to know see what's going on, getting a feel for everything going on Space Station. Third season, that's when it kicked off. Voyager. 
They get lost out in the Delta Quadrant. We're getting to know these characters. Everybody's starting to kind of fight. Everybody's kind of learning each other. By third season, everything's meshing, and we now have an idea who these folks are. Same with Star Trek Enterprise. We got a feel of these characters. Everything was kind of slow, picking up. We were kind of iffy. Third season, that's when it picked up. Any any hardcore Star Trek fans know, and hell, even previous writers who wrote these shows know that these shows typically don't pick up to the third season. So season three, I was right there. I'm like, okay, the show's gonna pick up. Captain Burnham, uh, Commander Burnham, she's she's gonna she's gonna learn a lesson. Things are really gonna pick up. We're gonna get to know these other members of these crews. The writers are gonna get it. The writers are gonna get the groove, and they're really gonna know what they're doing. And here we are, two episodes in season four, and it's like, it's like the writers are just, they're just, they're not learning. And I'm not the first person to complain about this, but the writer, I guess the writer just kind of said, the hell with traditional Star Trek fans. Perhaps they're trying to look into bringing in a new generation. That's good. You should bring in a new generation. Please don't get lazy with the writing. To, 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 to mix, to just make something inclusive. Because Star Trek has always been known for good writing. It's been known for it's been it's been known for the visual effects. It's been known for just being a cultural phenomenon. Star Trek is Star Trek is there is a culture behind Star Trek. Star Trek ain't just a show that everybody loves. Star Trek is it's 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 a cultural phenomenon. And I would implore the writers. To, to remember that as they continue to bring in new characters and write new storylines. Captain Burnham, this can no longer be the Captain Burnham show. It would be nice to see Captain Burnham fail so Captain Burnham can actually learn a lesson. Because clearly, two episodes into season two, Captain Burnham just is, is just as arrogant as ever. The president of the Federation had tried to give some advice to Captain Burnham, and Captain Burnham just was like, hey, I'm, I ain't trying to hear it. I'm just going to do what I do what works for me. And there's this arrogance. Nothing wrong with being an arrogant captain to a certain extent. But at some point, this captain has to fall on her face to learn. So with that said, I've gone on my rant. Appreciate y'all taking the time to listen to me once again. Some people might sit there and think that I'm putting too much into it. Hell, I might just be putting too much to it. Maybe I'm a Star Trek fan, a Star Trek, us hardcore fans. We are very particular about how the direction of the show, these shows go. And again, I'm down for adding, you know, bringing in much more diversity as you can. And maybe at some other point, I'll, there's some good things about the show. Right now, I'm kind of straddling that line if I want to continue watching. But like I said, I'm four, I'm four seasons, four seasons, two ep, three seasons, two episodes, two episodes into the fourth season. So whether or not I decide to stop watching or not, we'll see. That that's something for me to sleep on. Who knows? Also, another issue that I currently have with the show is the fact that. And this goes back to the Lieutenant Tilly character more than anybody. This show takes place 10 years before the original show. 
with Kirk, which means this shows in the year 2200 something. That's about 200 years from, from where we are now. But yet these folks still use slang that I heard growing up in the 80s, 90s. The show isn't, like I said, back to lazy writing. The writers aren't giving us 23rd century lingo. They're giving us 1990, early 2000 lingo. The lingo that some of these characters are using, a lot of these, a lot of the Gen Z generation today who are coming up don't use the same lingo that we were using. But yet I'm hearing the same lingo we're link. The same lingo we're using is being applied to Star Trek Discovery 200 years into the future. Once again, that goes back to lazy writing on the writer's part. I need them to do better. But um, thank you for taking the moment to join me. And as always, stating the facts. Thank you.